underdog. Stays on his feet. A competitor thought to have little chance of winning a fight or a contest. Caught by Tyree. A person who seems beat down, overwhelmed, and outmatched. Facing impossible odds. Someone in prime position for an upset. Well, I want to welcome everybody here today. I also want to welcome everybody who's uh, joining us via the TV and the internet. We're thankful for you as well. If you have stumbled upon Sagebrush Church, you ought to go to the App Store, download the Sagebrush app. It's got all of our content and all of our previous messages. We're in the middle of a series called Underdog. And one thing about 2021 and 2020, it's kind of felt that way, hadn't it? Like all of the odds are against us. Well, we're going to look at a story of a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. And he overcame unbelievable odds against him. In fact, he shares with us a little bit about what he endured in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at this. He says, I've been in prison more frequently been flogged more severely and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I think he's been in danger. Okay, just make sure we get that. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. So here's what we're going to look at today is how this guy keep going. I mean, that's quite a list of things that this guy absolutely endured. So what gave him such an overcoming spirit? Well, the secret to that answer is found in Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes to a small group of people, the church at Philippi, and right off the bat, he shares with them how to be an overcomer in the midst of unbelievable hardship and unbelievable difficulties. Now, Paul was the one who started the church at Philippi, and it had a very strange start. Now, last week, we celebrated our 22nd birthday as a church. We talked about some of the things that we went through uh, to be the church that we are today. Let me give you a couple more stories, because I can relate with Paul starting the church up and some of the wiggity-wack things that happened along the way. Uh, we had waited 18 months at Hoffmantown Church to launch as a mission church on the west side of town. And we had saved up our money and we had bought some portable equipment. For those of you who don't know, we set up and we tore down in an elementary school and then in a middle school for eight and a half years. That was a long time to be setting up and to be tearing down. Well, we were looking forward to getting our portable equipment. And we were going to have a, a practice uh, for a service. And then the next week, we're going to do our grand opening and try to get as many people there as possible, but we wanted to practice with the equipment first, and everybody was excited. So we're out in the parking lot of Hoffmantown Church, we're waiting for the trailers to show up, and sure enough, here they come, and one of our lead guitar players at the time, in fact, he was our only 
lead guitar player at the time. His name was Nabil. He was so excited. He lived close to Hoffmantown. He got on his bicycle to come over and check out the equipment. He got so excited when he saw the trailers that he wasn't paying attention to where he was going. And so he hit a curb, and he went flying over the handlebars, and he hit his head really hard on the sidewalk. Well, our associate pastor at the time was a guy by the name of Randall Stotts, my buddy Randall, and Randall hightailed it to help him out. Well, Nabil got up, and he was kind of dizzy a little bit, and then he threw up right there on the sidewalk. When Randall saw him throw up, he turned around and ran the other way because Randall can't be in the side of throw up. So he starts running the opposite direction, and he's running by me going, and then he runs over to the bushes. And I think this is a great church startup right here. My lead guitar player's got a mild concussion, and my associate pastor is giving up the ghost over in the bushes. It's not a good start right off the bat, you know. We were portable in our offices as well. We officed out of our homes for several years. And finally, we got to a point where we said, we got, we got to quit doing this. Uh, Barnes & Noble's getting sick of us showing up every day to have our little office meetings before we went about our business. And so we went to the church again. And we said, listen, we found a place to rent, and we need to build the place out. And to build it out, it's going to cost about $15,000. Well, we didn't have $15,000 to build out the office. And so we had to get creative. We had to do some fundraisers. You know, churches are notorious for doing some silly fundraisers. And so we're sitting around. We're brainstorming different fundraisers. And and Randall said to me, he said, hey, I I think we could get people to sell their plasma. I said, I said, I said, what? He said, didn't you know? (laughs) He said, didn't you know we can go down to the blood bank? Everybody can donate. (laughs) Sorry, I'm tired. He said, everybody can donate their plasma, and then they'll get a check immediately for $20, and they can just hand the $20 to us. And he was so excited about everybody donating their plasma. He even had a sign-up sheet with him that I just couldn't rain on his little parade. And I said, well, all right, if you think people will go down to the blood bank, give their plasma, then give us 20 bucks, you can give it a shot. So that next Sunday, he got up there, and he said, hey, we need $15,000 to build out the office complex. We have offices. And I came up with a creative idea. We're going to go down to the blood bank on Friday night. We're going to give our plasma, and we're going to get $20. He's just going to hand the checks back to us. And people went back in the back and signed up to give their plasma. And not just a few people, hundreds of people. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And I walked up to Randall after the service and I handed him a check for $40. And I said, my wife and I like our plasma, but here's 40 bucks. You know, we've been behind a little bit on our tithes and offerings. So there's a sign-up sheet in the back if anybody wants to just, just kidding. But really, we're here today because literally hundreds of people went down to the blood bank and they donated their plasma. Now, as crazy as our church startup was, it paled in comparison to the church at Philippi. Paul feels led by the Holy Spirit to go to Philippi. He's not even sure why. He's sitting by a riverbank, and he's listening to a bunch of women who are talking. And one of the women was a woman by the name of Lydia. This is what the Bible says. It says, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So Lydia had one of these bed and breakfast kinds of things going on. And so Paul and Silas said, you know what? We'll just go ahead and we'll stay there at Lydia's place. And Lydia became the first official member, so to speak, of the little church at Philippi. 
Well, Paul and Silas headed to the synagogue because that was their thing that they would always do to talk to people about the fact that Jesus had risen again from the dead. And there was a slave girl. This is such a sad story. A girl who had been sold into slavery and she was possessed by an evil spirit and she had the ability to predict the future. And so her owners, how terrible is that? Her owners made lots of money off of this girl's predictions because she was possessed by this evil spirit. Well, Paul and Silas go into town to head to the synagogue, and this girl notices and recognizes who they are because of the evil spirit that lives within her. And so she begins to follow them around to kind of bug them, to kind of mess with them. And everywhere Paul and Silas go, she says the same thing over and over and over again. She says, these men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way to be saved. Now, imagine if you heard that every minute of a day, and then the next day, and the next day, and everywhere you went, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, this girl was following you around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the... Are you sick of it yet? So you can imagine how sick of it they must have been. And I bet about day three, they started making it into a little song. These men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way to be saved. Boom, boom. These men are servants of the Most High God, showing you the way to be saved. Hey, right? Well, they're sick of it. And Paul turns around and says, be gone. And the evil spirit shrieks and comes out of the girl. That's good news for the girl. Bad news for the owner of her. Because now she can't predict the future anymore. Well, guess what? They got mad because they'd been shut down. And and so they they went to the authorities and they said, these people are coming in here. They're causing all kinds of ruckus and stirs. And and so they they imprisoned them. They grabbed Paul. They grabbed Silas. They threw him into jail. But before they put him in jail, they tied him to a pole. And they beat him with a whip. Jesus wasn't the only one who was beaten with a whip. They stripped him naked. They tied him to a pole. They took a cat of nine tails, nine strands of leather, and they beat Paul, and they beat Silas. Flesh was dangling down from their bodies, and then they threw them into a rat-infested jail. And the Bible says about midnight, uh, Paul and Silas are singing songs of praise to Jesus. Because for some reason, God saw them as being worthy to be persecuted for the cause of Jesus Christ. What an overcoming spirit. And everybody in the jail can't sleep because Paul and Silas are singing praises to the Lord. And the jailer who was beat them just a few hours earlier is listening to these guys sing praises to Jesus. That had to have gotten his attention. But nothing like the earthquake that happened. Because around midnight as they were singing their songs of praise, God brought an earthquake upon that jail. And it shook the foundations of that jail. And the, and the gates, the, the, the cell doors began to rattle and all of them popped open. Now here's the opportunity for all the prisoners to run away. And if a jailer loses a single prisoner, he's going to be killed for losing the prisoners. So the jailer decides to off himself. He grabs the sword, he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas run over and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't off yourself. Don't kill yourself. Nobody has left. And the jailer's blown away. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. He said, you've got to tell me about this Jesus. You've got to tell me what he's done. I, I hear you singing about how he's risen again from the dead and how I can conquer death and the grave. You've got to tell me, and not just me. You've got to tell my wife. You've got to tell my kids. And so Paul and Silas follow the jailer. The same guy who would beat him, just beat him just a few hours earlier. They go to his house, and they explain that God is for you that he's not against you, that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross, but he did not stay dead. He rose triumphantly from the grave. 
And if you'll confess your faith in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sin, you can be saved as well. And the Bible says that the jailer trusted in Jesus and his wife trusted in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says his entire household trusted in Jesus. That's how the church at Philippi got its start. It was a merchant woman, a girl who had just had an evil spirit cast out of her, and a guy who just tried to commit suicide. And I thought we had a wiggity wax start when we started this church. Well, 12 years has gone by. And Paul looks back upon those people. And he wants to write them some encouragement. Now, the whole church in the first century, they're just getting the snot knocked out of them. They're getting beat down. They're getting persecuted. Discouragement is winning the day. And so Paul, right off the bat in this first chapter, gives us the secret to having an overcoming spirit. Let's look at it. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Okay, first step to overcoming adversity. You do these three things, you'll be an overcomer. You ready? The first one's this. Focus on the best and forget the rest. Focus on the best, forget the rest. Because the rest is just going to cause you to spiral. The rest is going to cause you to go down into a dark abyss. Isn't it interesting? He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I don't think I would have started my letter this way. I think I'd say, hey, uh, you remember 12 years ago? We showed kindness to that girl who had an evil spirit, and we got strung up by a pole and got the snot knocked out of us, and then we got thrown in jail. Remember that? I hate Philippi. I like you, but I hate your town. I hate everything about it. I got scars all over my body from stupid Philippi. I think that's, how, that's why God never asked me to write Scripture. You understand that, right? He said, I just thank God. And upon every remembrance of you and my time there, in Philippi. He, he could have focused on all the bad things that was happening to him. He could have focused on every scar that covered his body. But he refused to do it. Let me ask you a question. Now that we're almost a year into the pandemic. What have you been focusing on lately? What's been taken from you? It's a lot, isn't it? And how you wish that things would return to normal. And every time you feel like, oh, it's going to get a little bit better, you see a news story that there's a new variant and it's more contagious, 40 times more contagious than the last one. And you just think, is there ever going to be an end to this? And, and you find yourself focusing on the things that you miss. And you start to spiral. You start to get discouraged. You start to grow faint in the race that God has set before you to run. Let me ask you a question. All that negativity, all that focus on all the bad, how's that benefiting you? Is that working out for you? Is that helping you at all? Or do you find frustration coming out of you? Do you find yourself getting more and more angry quicker than ever before because you are focusing on the bad things of your life rather than focusing on the good things of your life? You want to be an overcomer? then you have to focus on the positive things, the blessings of God. I read a very convicting story this past week about a, a young man by the name of Joseph Merritt. 
Joseph, when he was born, was born with severe physical deformities. Uh, such bad deformities that his mom, at the age of four, when Joseph was four, she abandoned her own child. He was picked up by a circus. His growing up days, he was stuck into a dark room. People would pay a shilling to come into that dark room, and then they would shine a light on him. People would see how deformed he was. They would shriek. They would scream. And then they would run out of the room as fast as possible. Now, let me imagine that as your life every day, year after year. They stick you in a dark room. You know that they're paying, uh, people are paying to come in. And every time they see you, just at the sight of you, people scream in fear and terror. And they run away from you as fast as possible. I wouldn't think that would be very good life, would you? They were in this one particular town, and there was a guy named uh, Frank Trevis, and he was a doctor. He paid his shilling because he wanted to see this site that everyone was talking about in the town. So he went into that dark room, and they flashed the light on this poor kid, and his heart just went out to him. And so afterwards, he went over to the circus owners, and he said, can I, can I meet with him? Can I examine him? And they said, well, certainly you can. And so once the shows were over, Trevis began to... Uh, write down, as he examined him, the man's deformities. This is what he wrote. A bony mass protruding from his brow, spongy skin, a misshapen head, the circumference of a man's waist. His mouth was distorted. His nose was dangling lump of skin. His right arm overgrown to twice its normal size. His fingers were stubby and useless, and he had deformed legs that couldn't support his body weight. Travis tried to communicate with Merrick, but because of the deformities in his mouth, he couldn't understand what he was saying, so he walked away believing that Merrick was an imbecile. And so he handed him back over to the circus. But before he did, he handed him one of his cards, and he said, hey, if you ever need any help, you know, look me up. And then he didn't think another thing of it. Another year goes by, and then another. And one day he receives a call. The call was from the police. They said that they had found a man huddled in a corner in a London train station, in a dark little corner, whimpering like a baby. When they checked the guy out, they found this doctor's card and called him to see if he knew what was going on with this guy. So Travis got in his car, and he headed over across town, and sure enough, it was Joseph Merrick. Once again, Travis took him in as his own, put him in his hospital, began to work with him. He found out that all that gargled speech didn't mean that he was an imbecile, but he found out that Merrick was uh, a very intelligent individual. He also found out that Merrick loved to read the Bible. Isn't that something? And he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus with every fiber of his being. Even though he has this deformed state, he loves Jesus like maybe you've never seen before. Travis tells the story of a time when he had a woman come in and uh, he asked the woman to shake Merrick's hand. It was the first time that Merrick had ever been touched by a woman before. He wrote about the experience. Travis writes, the effect upon Merrick was not quite what I had expected. As he let go of her hand, he bent his head on his knee and sobbed until I thought he would never cease. He told me afterwards this was the first woman who had ever smiled at him. 
and the first woman in his whole life who had ever shaken hands with him. Travis introduced Merrick to the nature, and boy, he loved to be outside. He loved wildflowers. He loved to listen to the birds sing. Oh, he loved all of that. And you would ask him from time to time, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And this is what he would say, I'm happy all the day. I'm happy all the day. Joseph Merrick passed away at the age of 27 years old. He's known as the elephant man. This is what Trevis wrote about him. He said, I never heard him complain. I never heard him deplore his ruined life or resent the treatment he'd received at the hands of callous keepers. Robbed of his childhood, treated as a wild beast, yet he emerged with such a pure heart and with such a great love for Jesus. And even through great sorrow and despair, he had this overcoming spirit that said, I'm happy every moment of every day. What are you focusing on today? Focusing on the bad? What good's that doing you? Is that helping you? Is that benefiting you? I'm telling you right now, if you keep focusing on the things that are going wrong in your life, on the things that you wish God would intervene and God would change, and you focus on those things and you focus on those things, you will spiral. How do I know that? What do you think has been happening to me off and on? Same thing that's been happening to you. It, it could be triggered by a bad report. It could be triggered by something I see on the news. It could be triggered by a conversation that I have with someone who's mad about this and mad about that and you just got to take those thoughts captive, right? That's what the Bible says. You take those thoughts captive and you make them obedient to Jesus Christ. Is this true? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Is it noble? These are the things that we're supposed to think on. If you're going to have an overcoming spirit, you focus on the best and you forget the rest. You leave that in God's hands. And that brings me to my second point. You focus on prayer as your power source. You ain't going to make it through this pandemic as we're going to the last lap of this crazy thing if you keep doing it in your own strength. Man, the suicide rate is at 400% greater than it normally is. We've got to have a power that is greater than ourselves. Here's Paul. He's in a jail cell right into this church at Philippi. And yet he is trusting God even though nothing in his life makes any sense. And he's seeking God. Look at what he says here. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I pray with joy. And this is my prayer. And we'll talk about the prayer in just a second. If you read any of Paul's writings, he always starts off when he writes to a church, he always starts off with a prayer. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm longing for you. He just leaned on prayer. He counted on prayer. He believed that God listened to him when he prayed. So let me ask you a question. What have you been praying about this past week? And how much time have you spent this past week praying? And if you have been, then you're probably more of an overcomer. You feel more energy. You feel more energized because you know that God's going to take care of it. God's going to intervene, even when it doesn't make any sense. You know, somehow, some way, God's going to use what we're going through for, his, for our good and for his glory, right? It's a defiant faith when you pray. So how much time have you spent this past week praying? And how much time this past week have you spent worrying about something or being anxious about something? 
Write this down. The things that you're praying for are the things that you're trusting God for. And the things that you're worried about today, those, my friend, are the things that you're trusting yourself for. This past week, my wife and uh, Cammie headed to Los Angeles for the third back surgery. And I'm thankful to tell you that we believe that it was a success. And I want to thank you for your prayers. And I want to thank you for your concern. And I want to thank you for all your cards that you sent to her that encouraged her so very, very much. I love the church. Come alongside us. We appreciate it so very, very much. What do you think I did this past week? you think I prayed? Or do you think I was anxious? Okay, I know I'm not very good, but I prayed. You were thinking, I think anxious. No, I did. I, I, was, I prayed. I prayed like a banshee. I prayed and 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 I prayed. What good would worrying do for me? Worrying wasn't going to change anything. Worrying wasn't going to help the doctors. It wasn't going to help the nurses. It wasn't going to do anything to change their situation. So I prayed to my God. I prayed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who cares about every aspect of our lives. I laid my burdens down before him. And I did it again and again and again and again. And Cammie did the same thing. And I tell you what, we went in that thing positive ready to go, believing that God was going to put her back, back together again. And I believe with all my heart that that's exactly what happened. Friends, why are you struggling today? Why, why are you dealing with so much depression and anxiety and worries and stress? It's because you're still living as if God's Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. You're not relying upon the power of God through prayer. Again, let me ask you, how much time did you spend praying this past week? And how much time did you spend being anxious about something or worrying about something? And what good did any of that do you? I came across this poem. I love this poem. I've known it for years. This is what it says. I got up early one morning. And I rushed right into my day. I had so much to accomplish. I didn't, hate, I didn't take time to pray. Problems just tumbled around me. Heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. If you want to overcome adversity in your life, you don't have the power or the strength to do it on your own. So you seek him. How long has it been since you've been on your knees? How long has it been since you had your head bowed before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you Cast all your cares upon him because he cares so much for you. Friends, you just can't do it on your own. And Paul knew that. So Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to remember the bad. I'm not going to remember the past. I'm not going to remember the scars. All that. What, what good does any of that stuff do me? And then I'm going to just focus on prayer. I'm going to be a prayer machine. And I'm going to trust God to move heaven and earth on my behalf. The third thing that he did is he focused on others and he took his eyes off himself. You want to have an overcoming spirit, stop having a pity party. 
Stop feeling like you got the worst situation of anybody and concern yourself with other folks. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul's in jail. He's in jail. Why is he in jail? He's in jail for proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. That's why he's in jail. So here he is in jail. What's he thinking about? Is he thinking about himself? Oh, man, I'm in jail again. Oh, there's another rat. I'm going to name you Felix or something. He's thinking about the church. He says, you know, God slowed me down. I think I'll write an encouraging word to these people. Look at what he writes. This is his prayer. It's such a great prayer. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He prayed four things for them, right? First one was this. He prayed their love would abound for each other more and more. He said, here I am in prison, and I'm kind of alone, and, and, I, and I miss my friends. I, I miss the companionship that I had. But, but I want you guys, I, I want you at church at Philippi, I want you to lean on each other and pray for each other and encourage each other. I want you to have a depth of relationships and friendships unlike anything you've ever dreamed before. Friends, let me ask you something. When, when life knocks you down, do you have a group of people that you can turn to, that have your back, that can lift you up, that would pray for you in the midst of a dark situation? Do you have somebody like that? I mean, your spouse comes to you and they file, they give you divorce papers. Do you have somebody that you could call immediately and say, man, this is what's happening. Can you pray for me? Can you help me through this dark valley I find myself in? You just found drugs in your kid's room. Your kid just came home drunk. Your kids run away. You got somebody that you can lean on, someone you can call Someone who will pray for you. Someone who will walk through that valley with you. Paul says, man, that's what I want for you. I want your love to abound for each other more and more and more. Let's take off our mask. Let's be real with each other. Let's do life together with each other. We're better together. And he says this. He says he prays that they would make wise decisions. He says, so you may be able to discern what is best. He said, I'm praying that you'll have the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong, between what is good and what is bad. But honestly, he's really praying for them to determine between what's good and what's best. And that's where we're at today, right? Our issue isn't between what's right and what's wrong because most of us, you know, we're like, okay, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm not going to go rob a bank. You know, I'm not going to do that kind of thing. So our real issue is we want to make sure we don't waste this one shot of life. So what's good to give our life to and what's the best to give our life to? So isn't that a great prayer that Paul says, listen, I don't want you to settle in life. I, you got one shot at this thing. Go after God's very best. And then he prays that they would do the right thing. It says, may be pure and blameless until the day of, until the day of Christ. He, he's saying, you reflect Jesus in your words. Reflect Jesus in your actions, the way you treat each other, the way that you talk to each other. And then he prayed that they would live for God's purpose. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying that they would have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control like unlike ever before. That's, that's what he's praying. You know what he's praying for? He's praying they'd be like Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? Well, we know he didn't come to serve. Be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Right? Jesus didn't even make, here's, here's the son of God walking on the face of He didn't even make it about himself. He was constantly meeting the needs of other people. Friends, listen to me. You're going to spiral if it's all about you. 
And if it's all about your hurt, and it's all about your pain, and all about your anxiety, and oh, poor pitiful you. But if you'll break out of it and see a need and meet the need, and you'll be the hands and feet of Jesus, and you'll help somebody else along the way, your spirit will soar. Because when we serve other people, we always get more out of it than what we give away. I read a story this past week about a guy named Joe. Joe was at the Bowery Mission, and the Bowery Mission had been huge in his life. He used to be an alcoholic, used to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, came to the Bowery Mission, found help, found accountability, found people who would love him with an in-spite-of kind of love. He gave up the alcohol as a result. He gave his life over to Jesus Christ. And so he was one of the main servants at the Bowery Mission. I mean, day after day, he said, this mission's done so much for me. How could I not serve it and help somebody else along the way? So if there was ever a task that needed to be done, they knew Joe was the guy that they could count on. That Joe would be the one to to pull that off. Whether it was somebody throwing up on the ground, Joe would be the first one there to clean up the mess. Whether it was cleaning up the bathrooms, Joe would be the first one. He was so kind, so gentle, such a servant. Everybody loved Joe. Well, one night they're having chapel service, and that's what you do in these missions. You have a chapel service, and you explain to people the message of Jesus Christ, how he died for us, how he rose again from the dead. You don't just feed people. You want to feed them spiritually first, and then you feed them physically. So at the end of this service, they had an invitation, and they gave people the opportunity to come down forward and to make a decision for Jesus Christ. So they're all standing up. They're all singing a hymn. And this guy comes down the side aisle all the way down to the front, drops to his knees, and he starts crying out, Oh, God, make me like Joe. Oh, God, make me like Joe. The director of the Bowery Mission walked over, put his hand around the man, He said, son, don't you mean make me like Jesus? And the man looked at the director and said, is he anything like Joe? Jesus was an overcomer. Jesus kept getting back up again. May our lives reflect Jesus. In the way that we talk. In the way of our attitude in the way that we handle our day-to-day lives. May we lean on him like never before. May we forget the bad, because it won't do us any good anyway. May we lean on him for prayer. And may we look around and say, in the midst of the world that's gone nuts, how can I make my piece of the world just a little bit better? And when your focus is on those things, friends, you will be an overcomer. You'll be just like Jesus. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would become more and more like you. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul, for the life that he lived, how wholehearted he was for you. Lord, so many of us are focused on the things that just aren't going right in our life, and it's just bringing about despair and discouragement. Help us, Lord, to focus on what's good, on all the blessings and all the things that we have to be thankful for. And, Lord, there's so many. You've been so good to us. Help us to lean on you like never before, that every time we have an anxious or worrisome thought, every time we feel a little bit out of control and a little bit stressed out, may we get down on our knees and may we seek your face. May we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And then give us eyes to see. Eyes to see the need. Eyes to see the hurt. 
Give us eyes, Lord, to be your hands and your feet, to see a need and then meet that need. And may the world see the difference in the way that a Christian is handling this time, unlike anything they've seen before. Lord, when they see us in the way that we live, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't even know you at that time, but they would see you through us, and then we could share you with them. God, help us to be a light in a dark place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.